Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here from 6th and Peabody in Nashville. Kick 360. The crew is all here. Trey Wallace of OutKick will join us in 20 minutes. We'll talk college coaching searches. What is LSU and Oklahoma up to with their vacancies? We'll get into all that. Uh, plus preview the SEC title game coming up in Atlanta. We will be there live on Friday and Saturday with OutKick 360 and OutKick the tailgate on Saturday. Looking forward to that. Um, last night, the Ravens win over the Browns despite turning the football over in what was just a disastrous game offensively for the Ravens. And the Browns just were not capable of doing anything offensively against the Ravens' defense. Uh, and then there's the Colts, who had a 10-point lead over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was 24-14, I believe, at halftime. And Frank Reich had a, a game plan that I actually loved watching in the first half that included Jonathan Taylor where the Bucks sold out to stop the run. No secret that that's what they would do. Carson Wentz at the end of the first half, 200 yards passing, roughly. Three touchdown passes in the second quarter, where they scored 21 points in the second quarter. They then proceeded to run from somewhere in the second quarter through the third. Frank Wright called 26 plays before giving the football to Jonathan Taylor again. Which is the opposite of the week before, where he had decided, I'm giving the ball, yeah. I'm going to run the ball on every first and second down with the lead. The Colts dropped back to pass 20, uh, I'm seeing here 26 straight times. And during that, they threw two picks. They turned it over, uh, they, they turned it over once more after that. I think they had three turnovers and two picks from Carson Wentz and played into the extra possessions that Tampa Bay ultimately came back to win against. I mean, it was just, I don't know how you have what the national media now are jumping on and saying he's an MVP candidate, right? Last week, is jo that was the discussion. Is Jonathan Taylor deserving of being an MVP candidate? And the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts just told us, no, he's not. Because not in his you're, you're up by 10. I, I get, like, it's not like Terod Taylor... Or, or Trevor Lawrence are on the opposite sideline here. You're playing like the worst team in your division if you're Indy. You're playing the defending champions with Tom Brady on the sideline. There's a different game plan that comes in with that. It's also okay to run into a brick wall and get one or two yards and it be a win because you're running clock and you have a 10-point lead. I'm not saying you wave the white flag and you, play, you, you protect the scoreboard, but in my scenario, I'm turning around giving the ball not just to my running back, but to the best player on my roster. And instead, they put the ball in the hands of Carson Wentz, and he put the ball in the hands of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I, Frank Reich gets so much favorable um, press, so uh, conversation he from does. national media, and a lot of it is because he's such a likable dude. Uh, a lot of these. People covering him uh, are writing about him, talking about him on shows, must have his phone number, must be able to text with him. 
Dan Dockich has been saying this for a long time, that the Colts are just not well coached and well managed. And he thinks that Ballard and Reich are really overrated. And I, I could see why he thinks that. So sandwiched, I, I mean, we saw a really bad game plan against the Titans. We saw a really good game plan last week against Buffalo, where, like I said, Peter King reported in detail about how at a certain point he said for just a second time in his life, he decided, I'm running it the rest of the way, first and second down, no matter what. They had a lead against the Bills. They were having great run success. Jonathan Taylor had massive numbers and five touchdowns. And then just a week later, I'm not asking him to do the same thing, not no. do the same overcommitment, but have at least some well, sort of balance with his best Chad, player. And he does something like this. They were up 24. And he doesn't get killed for it. Everybody last night says, well, the Colts lost, but I still like him a lot. 24-14 at halftime. And... Jonathan Taylor didn't touch the football again until it was 31 to 24. How is somebody not? Which I mean, is, somebody's got to have been in his ear and he he's not listening. I mean, all of America was in his ear. Yeah. Uh, watching well, the that. bucks, the bucks shut him down, but st still you still get the touches. Like, that's, that's what we've talked about the, weekly. If you, the, the best player in Nashville is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's going to get carries, even if it's two yards in a cloud of dust, because of the volume of carries, and eventually you're going to pop one, and we've you end up breaking teams, the defense. We've well, seen especially teams with, with far worse lead. backs. Yeah. We've talked about games with far worse backs and far worse running attacks settling for a 2.1 average in order to get carries into the 20s or even up <laughs> near 30 in order to I shape know. a game. And meanwhile, Leonard Fournette, had like 25 carries four, and four 130 yards. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not sounding the alarm or anything on this, but Tampa's not fully right right now. Fournette had a good day. Gronk had a good day. Uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are not 100%, not even close to it. They had no injury designation, but they didn't practice till Thursday, I think, of, of the week and were clearly not themselves yesterday. Uh, they'll figure it out with, with Brady. And with what they did last year, their issues are but on defense. They're not, yeah, they're not, and that's not something we thought coming into the season, based on how they finished a they're year not, ago. They're not nearly as good on defense. No, Colts blew a huge chance there, though, with the Titans getting their butts kicked yes, in New England. Yes. There was a lot of reason to be nervous, and instead they come home still with the two game lead plus the big sweep of the head to head. So, an effectively a three game lead. Colts could have been putting a lot of pressure on the Titans with the Titans going into a much-needed bye if they had pulled that upset. I don't know if it was an upset based on the spread. It would have felt like an upset. Colts were playing great coming out of Buffalo. Everybody's feeling good about the Colts. They were in good position in that game. And instead, they lose it, and they leave the Titans in, in a very strong position. Well, the magic number in the AFC South is three, and it's any combination – of Titans wins or Colts losses adding up to three. If that happens, the Titans are AFC South champions. And the Titans have you know remaining games against Houston, Jacksonville. Miami's playing a lot better now. That's a lot different looking game. They're getting both Miami and San Francisco at bad times compared to what they're doing. San Francisco's hot now. Miami's playing. Much Miami better. has like a four game winning streak going, and they they have looking at their schedule. They have the Giants and the Jets next up. Yeah, they're going to be hot. And then they have a week 14 bye. They have There's a late bye. a week bye. 14 bye? Yeah. That's it's, criminal. This should be the end of the byes. I, I think, thought this um, was it now. I think the Patriots also have a week 14 bye. They have a bye right after they play Buffalo next week. Yeah, they've got nice rest for key uh, spaced very nicely. Patriots are in a very 
good position and playing very good, smart football, letting people make mistakes, traditional mm-hmm. Bill Belichick stuff. And uh, they're, they're a concern. Their defense, you know, people get carried away looking at Mac Jones, looking at Mac Jones. Meanwhile, their defense is, uh, you know, not letting people score. You're going to win a lot of games that way. Yeah, and they, you know, they're getting a lot of comparisons to the 2001 team that we all know how that ended and we all know who the quarterback was in year one. And what it started. They are also very similar to me when I watched this Patriots team. And people may laugh at this, but it was a good team in 2010. The New York Jets that were built on the run game. They could run it with multiple backs. Their defense got after it. They were going to stop the run. They were going to turn the football over. And they had a quarterback that was just not making the the mental errors and, and playing mistake free. And that's what New England does. They are very consistent. Tony Dungy said last night on Sunday Night Football um, that New England is the most consistent team right now in the league. And that's true because their rookie quarterback is improving week to week and their formula is set and they're playing to their formula, which is strong defense, uh, which I think they've allowed 26 or 24 points over the last three opponents combined. Strong defense. uh, They're going to turn it over and they're going to protect the football and you're just eventually going to lose the game because they're going to strangle you out, right? They're going to suffocate you with their run game. They're going to take exactly what the defense gives you uh, or gives Mac Jones, and defensively, you're just not going to move it up and down the field on them. I, I think we did a disservice. I mean, the Patriots were what they were last year. I'm not pretending like they're good. But I, I did think, like, hey, Bill Belichick's not going to be able to reset this thing in one year. Well, the thing, you were, the thing you were coach, down on is the fact time. that they jumped in on free agency. They spent $175 yeah, on million on free agency. And it's funny because those players – Particularly the offensive players, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Yeah, but it's their, are not de- it's their defense. Yeah. It's their defense that has just been outstanding. Yeah, and their defense got back players who opted out and players uh, and some injuries. They're very they, good they, on then defense. Then they signed big guys. And Judon, Judon is fantastic, uh, and he's Christian funny Barmore. Guy. I mean, they they've got a, a group there, the core that, that is just outstanding. Yeah, I, I was down on this uh, expenditures. For sure, and I, I'm wrong on that to, to well, this point. But the offensive guys aren't doing a lot. But the thing that I, I, I think <laughs> I kind of said, everybody was like, oh, the Brady side wins because he went to Tampa and he won a Super Bowl in one year. And I think I said, let's not be so fast. The, the Belichick side is harder to restart a team minus your 20-year quarterback. And obviously, this uh, we need a couple of years for the mm-hmm. whole thing to play, play out. But right now, it looks like the Belichick side is go- is doing okay, too. Well, who are you taking in your your comparison, Hutton? 2010 Mark Sanchez or 2021 Mac Jones in the short term for that uh, season at quarterback? That team you're talking about went to the AFC Championship game, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that team... That was, was a good team. Honestly, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is on either team because of the way they're constructed. As long as they're not up. making huge mistakes. Yeah, don't make mistakes. Yeah, I thought Mac Jones had a really nice touchdown pass uh, to start the game to Kendrick Bourne, where which was pure luck. Bayard needs to turn his head. Yeah, I mean, but, not even turn his head. I mean, his arm is arm in up. between yeah. Kendrick Bourne and the football. There's a still photo. I don't know who to, it was. Probably perfect. Getty. It was perfect coverage. It was unbelievable, and and I, you could not repeat that throw and catch uh, again in that game. That that's how really precise it was. Really good play. But you know and what? By the that, way, these receivers example. who are making plays for him are not Nelson Aguilar, really. 
No. <laughs> They're no, a bunch no, no. of, again, of but, no names. But you know what, though? That's an example of Mac Jones taking his coaching, which is from Josh McDaniels, believe in what you see, take what the defense gives you, and allow your guys to go up and make a play for you. And that that is that's the description of that touchdown pass that he had yesterday to Kendrick Bourne. Chad's right. I mean, it's it was a great throw, great catch, great defense. And that's just the way it's going for Mac Jones right now. He's not making those – you know what he's not doing? He's not throwing into coverage and getting picked off by linebackers the way Ryan Tannehill's been doing. I'll throw another weeks. element into it. It's not just let the other team make mistakes, right? At times it's uh, literally – and I'm not being a jerk here – let the other team suck. The 41-yard touchdown, Yeah. Uh, yeah. Janoris Jenkins <laughs> misses Bourne, and Jayon Brown gets stiff-armed and, and totally misses. Uh, that was poor effort. The, the Titans' poor effort by both those inside players. linebacker coach is Jim Hazlitt, the former head coach of the New Orleans Saints. He has not said a negative word about a guy since he's been in Tennessee. And he said earlier today, Jayon Brown's got to get that stiff arm off of him and get the guy out of bounds. The most negative thing I've heard him say since he's been here. If he's saying that, you know, imagine the real. It was a terrible play by by Jan. It was Brown. game over at that. So point. all the Patriots do are doing there is I mean, the guys running up the sideline, letting Jayon Brown suck, putting his arm out. That's all he did. We we will learn. Every, there's still there's still a lot to be determined in the AFC. There's a reason why. The Buffalo Bills continue to be a team that everyone points to. They won on Thanksgiving as the top team in the AFC despite their losses. We will we will find out what New England is made of and just how good Mac Jones is because two of the next three games, we're going to get New England against Buffalo. A week from tonight, we get Buffalo at New England and Foxborough right before the Patriots bye. That's when you find out about the Patriots and the Bills, and that's really the matchup that I'll point to that will determine the top team in the AFC for me. I don't have a stat in front of me, but I read uh, this morning, late by teams have had great Super Bowl success. Tampa Bay had a late by last year, after which they went on their roll. Patriots have uh, a very late by. Kansas City uh, Titans have a bye coming up. But look at the late by teams. We'll get more into this this week. Yeah, um, It's a very good harbinger for good teams with late buys. And one thing to like Buffalo on, I saw this this morning too. As much trouble as Buffalo has had lately, Buffalo's defense is holding opponents, quarterbacks, to a 62.8 passer rating, which is incredibly low these days. Eight touchdowns, 16 picks. So quarterback defense by the Bills is the reason don't score. to still be up on them. I mentioned last week, that's why their defense, uh, we went through all the categories, their defense is the reason why people still point to the Bills as the top contender for the Super Bowl in, in, in the AFC. I was in on the Ravens. I watched the Ravens win last night. I'm less in on the Ravens off of a win. I thought that offense was just horrible. The thing, the thing about Baltimore, though, is their defense has not been very good this year, and they were great last yeah. night, though. Well, the Browns they shut down the run game. To, They let the Browns suck. Like I was well, Baker about. Mayfield it, it should they're not just, be playing. Yeah, they're just, He's not healthy at all. They're miserably. Yeah. He could un- barely walk to the sideline. He was limping on the they, sideline. They, oh. They've been debating that for a while in Cleveland, for a while, a couple of weeks, on whether or not they should turn things over to their backup. I, I, I would say, though, it's extremely hard for me uh, in putting myself in the situation. Just I, I'm trying to imagine myself in that building at 6-5 and five going into this week. 
knowing that you have a franchise, you're, the, the franchise quarterback you drafted is as tough as nails and is playing through everything that you hope that a franchise quarterback would play through to sit him when he's willing to go out there and play on a bum shoulder that's just non-throwing shoulder. Uh, and, and it also sends a message to the rest of your locker room like, okay, this is a guy who's trying to get the mega contract and he's not just going to go to IR. I think he could easily go to IR and it would be done. And, and no one would fault him for it. But there is a, there is a, uh, a level of toughness that impresses me. This is that. Baker Mayfield has impressed me with what he's playing through. I'm not saying it's the best for the team. It's tough to say, take a seat when you're six and five with the guy who is trying to give you everything he's got on top of the fact that you've got a healthy backfield again for the first time in a while and you have a a top tier defense that can get after a quarterback. Another team that can't stay healthy. The Titans here locally actually get a timing break on this. Kevin Byard goes on the COVID list, but with the bye week coming up. So you don't want anybody on the COVID list, but if you had to pick a day, today's probably the right day. Coming up, we go uh, from that update on the COVID list to the coaching list. What's going on at LSU? What's up with Oklahoma now in the mix? What does that do for the LSU position and what they're looking for? What are they waiting on? And how about Florida's hire of Billy Napier? Trey Wallace of Outkick.com joins us next with the latest on Outkick 360. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Crew is all here. And we say hello to Trey Wallace, Outkick.com's SEC writer. He and Glenn Gilbo do excellent work each and every day at the site. Trey, hope you're doing well and uh, plenty to uh, keep an eye on right now with all the coaching openings, uh, specifically LSU and what Florida has done and now the opening at Oklahoma to see how that impacts the LSU position. Guys, hope you are doing well. thought you were guys were bringing me on to talk about the Titans loss yesterday. Yeah. So I guess we can talk <laughs> college football now. But uh, what, a, what a wild, what, 48 hours, I guess, since, you know, we've been involved in the LSU coaching search and then everything that went on, you know, in Stillwater after that game with Oklahoma to, to now Lincoln Riley stepping off a jet. Uh, out in LA it, it, it's crazy and and you know what the big factor is too LSU still searching for a head coach um, so a lot's to discuss and and this has just been one thing after the other and we're the crazy part about yesterday guys is Billy Napier to Florida got put to the back burner because yeah. of everything else that's gone on in the country well it also got put to the back burner I think Trey because it's it doesn't turn a lot of heads and that's no disrespect to Billy Napier, who's been on a lot of people's list in the SEC in, in recent years. Uh, what do you make of that hire? Is this a no-brainer for Florida? What do you think Billy Napier does for Florida? Chad, I, I think it's a – I used a nice hire the other day, and people were coming back to me, and, wow, was it not great? Is it not good? Is it not bad? No, it's a nice hire. Like I, I think that Florida found the guy that they were looking for, and this dates back. This dates back uh, for what, two and a half weeks now. I mean, they first contacted Billy Napier's representatives after the South Carolina loss. So it's it's not like this thing happened kind of overnight. Um, but to hear Scott Strickland and others talk about them meeting last Tuesday and, and Scott Strickland coming away from that meeting knowing that he had his head coach, I think it was just a build-up to how they got to that point uh, face-to-face. I, I look at this Florida job 
And I think Billy Napier can do a, a good job of getting there and, re- and recruiting, uh, building a staff around him that he's going to be able to rely on. Uh, let him be the CEO and, and hire a defensive guy. You know, I know he likes to be involved with the offensive-minded stuff, and I get that part of it. But you got to be able to surround yourself with the right guys. I think it, you know, and especially when it comes to recruiting, Chad, you know, that's the problem Dan Mullen got into. He hired a, a staff where you had four or five guys on the staff that didn't really like to recruit. And then you add on the fact that Dan Mullen didn't really like to recruit. Okay, well, you've set yourself up for horrible things in Gainesville. I think with Billy Napier, though, uh, I think it stabilizes the program. I think he can come in. He can recruit the the state of Louisiana hard. Um, he's got a name. People know him. And, and I get some people talking about, okay, this is the Louisiana Lafayette head coach. Okay, I understand that part, but this is a coach that's also turned down multiple SEC jobs in the last two years, and he finally found one that he thought fit for him. So I I think it's a nice hire for Florida. It's not going to turn a lot of heads. I think that's why there hasn't been a lot of attention towards it, but Florida wanted their guy, and they got him. So good for them. So LSU needs somebody to defend LSU turf now um, with him being able to dip in there. What are you hearing on, on, on that front? Are you surprised that they'll be at least third here and, and maybe lower than that in terms of uh, the order of this thing? You know, Paul, I, I'm not going to be – Here's I won't be surprised if they get a guy that fits their program. Um, I think there was a good amount of folks in Norman uh, – no, I'm sorry, in Baton Rouge that thought that there could be a, a, a coach coming in from Norman you know, this week, and then maybe the LSU job. Um, but that kind of veered away. You know, once USC got involved in this thing, and I think that's been going on for a while now. Uh, but then you had LSU, you know, reportedly put out an offer to him. Um, but then it goes back to how long has Lincoln Riley really been negotiating with USC? And, and I think it's for a pretty good amount of time. I, I would think for over a month, just from hearing some of the reports that are out right now. Um, and, and talking with a few folks. So you you go back and you look at this thing with LSU. Okay, you know, in my opinion, here, and, and just thinking right off the cuff, like if somebody said, Trey, who do you go hire that makes the splash that you know that could probably win in the SEC and bring in big-time recruits? I'd say go grab Lane Kiffin and then, by the way, get Arch Manning to commit to LSU and you got your quarterback for the next three to four years. Like that's the way I kind of look at it. But with LSU and Scott Woodward, there's certain areas that he's not going to go down as an athletic director. And I think Lane Kiffin has been one of those that he's just not going to get involved in this thing. Um, you know, Dave Aranda is still out there. Dave Aranda is going to be coaching this weekend in the Big 12 championship game. I'd like to see where that goes because there is a little bit of smoke when it comes to Dave Aranda. Um, and, and LSU, once that, that USC job opened up, that took one away from him. Looks like the Washington job. Um, could be filled pretty soon. Um, so you look at the options out there right now. I would hope LSU makes a splash because LSU deserves as big of a football program they are to make a splash. And there's reports out there this afternoon that Brian Kelly is interested in the LSU job. Like nothing will surprise me anymore, Paul. But I will say that that if I'm, I'm LSU and Scott Woodward right now, you got to make this hire the right way. So if you've come this far. Four or five more days aren't going to hurt. Don't screw it up. It's funny. My headphones translated what you said there into Brian Kelly is interested in a raise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of guys are. 
Well, I'm surprised we haven't heard from Mike Gundy this recruiting cycle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's perfectly happy now at his alma mater for the first time in years. He's uh, not looking around anywhere. Um, here's the crazy thing about LSU, though, Trey. That you say they need to make a splash. I can come back and say they really don't have to. The last two coaches they hired were coordinators <clears throat> and won a national title. It would be nice to land a big name. I'm sure LSU fans would be excited about it. But it's a program that's shown they could hire all, less miles won a national title. At LSU. Ed Orgeron won a national title at LSU. It, it doesn't take Nick Saban, who, by the way, also won a national title at LSU, <laughs> to win one there. They, they can win with a lot of people. Yeah, they can. And, I mean, it, you know, if you wanted to go out, there's a name that's floating around, like Brent Venables. If you want to go out and hire a guy like that, and then you could surround him with a staff that would work, you know, that, that could be potentially a name if we're talking about assistant coaches. But, you know, I, I think what the problem has been when it comes to LSU, and this is not to the fault of Scott Woodward. It's really not. But they look at the coaches that he's landed in the past. They specifically look at what he did with Jimbo at Texas A&M, and they're thinking, okay, if we fired Ed Orgeron this early in the season and said we're moving on, then he's got to have somebody, a big fish on the line, if we're, what, a month and a half, two months into this thing. So I I kind of look at it from that standpoint where you have fan expectations – and then you have reality that's going to be set by the athletic department at LSU. So, you know, going up, going about this thing, yeah, they could go the coordinator route, and it wouldn't be a big deal at all because they would surround themselves with the highest-paid OC if they wanted to. I mean, just look at the amount of money that they were spending on Bo Pelini to be the defensive coordinator. So they've got money. Um, I think it's all about who is interested, like really interested in this thing, and who's making them out to look like a fool by getting a contract extension. We've seen a lot of that. So, Trey, you're there in Knoxville. Uh, everyone breathlessly awaiting for this question. Um, yeah. Is Josh Heupel realistically an option for Oklahoma to go back to Norman and leave Tennessee after one year, creating what would be Lane Kiffin Part 2 in Knoxville? Yeah, as much as some people have that in their dreams at night, maybe that Lane Kiffin returns to Knoxville, Josh Heupel's not going anywhere from Tennessee. Um, I, I think that he has settled in here. Uh, he is on the road recruiting right now. They were all around. They were near area yesterday in the mid-state. Um, you've got coaches in Michigan, Ohio, Indiana. Heupel's been everywhere. Um, you know, I, I think that Danny White – um, we'll probably end up putting something they've already been kind of working on it, but kind of put something together nice for him. Just a little bit of a bump, you know, for what he did this year. Um, but I look from talking with folks inside the program and outside the program, you know, they were also trying to figure ways, figure out ways to put this to bed, because here's the thing. And you guys know this, you can't put a coaching search to bed or your name unless you come out either A, and say it, hey, I'm happy at Tennessee, blah, 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 but why would you do that if your name is, you know, if, if you haven't been offered a job? Or two, you look at it from a standpoint, okay, can the university do something? Like Kentucky, okay, here's an example. Kentucky tried this a little bit ago. About an hour ago, Kentucky's football website tweeted a picture of Mark Stoops getting off an airplane to make it look like he's traveling around the world and recruiting. Well, the fact is, Mark Stoops is actually in play probably for the Oklahoma job. So you can tweet out all these pictures all you want. So that's where it kind of puts Tennessee in a bind right now. It's like, what do we do to come out and say it? Does Hypo give an interview or something along those lines? 
But just straight up asking the question, no. I don't think Tennessee fans have anything to worry about. Josh Heupel is going to be here in 2022, and, and I don't think Oklahoma is, is the job for him right now. They're just There's a lot of stuff that went on at Oklahoma, and the head coach of that team right now was the instigator of a lot of it. Well, and they don't really see eye to eye, right? Stoops and, no. and Heupel. And Stoops has now inserted himself back into the mix just by being the interim. He says he's a program guy and the way he took over uh, and was in the he was he was in the team meeting when they told the team that Lincoln Riley was leaving. That tells me everything I need to know. Bob Stoops is helping run this search. Well, Jonathan, I mean, he was an he's an ambassador for the program. He gets paid yearly, a, a nice amount. Uh, to be around Norman and to to make appearances and whatnot. I mean, you know, the cra- there was there was a tweet that came out Friday night. And it was like Bob Stoops is not going to be on the the big noon kickoff anymore, and you know nobody really paid attention to it, or I didn't see it until last night. I'm like, okay, well, either they kind of knew what was going on here, or things are already astray. So I look at Bob Stoops and. Yes, there's problems with hypo. I mean, hypo, don't, you know, it's not the friendliest things in the world if you do your research and you understand kind of what's going on. And I would imagine Josh Hypo would really like to stick it to Oklahoma in two years whenever they play. So I, I just don't see Josh Hypo moving around anywhere. Would LSU be smart to pick up the phone and try to lure Lane Kiffin to Baton Rouge, or do you think they're looking elsewhere? I mean, from our standpoint, as in the media, man, we would love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what would Lane I, Kiffin do at LSU that he can't do at Ole Miss? Win more than 10 games. Win more than 10 games and have an opportunity to play for a national championship. Like, I get the college football playoff is coming out, um, and, and I understand that. But look at Ole Miss. Do, and if you ask yourself this question, do you see Ole Miss football winning more than 10 games in the future? And automatically it comes to my head, no. Like they had such a good year, such a special quarterback, and how things went down in Oxford this past year, it kind of lined up perfectly for them. I just don't see Ole Miss beating out teams every year like Alabama, A&M, LSU. If Auburn can get back on track, okay, that's great. And by the way, Sam Pittman's putting something together at Arkansas, which has been phenomenal to watch. So that's five teams. So at LSU, you could go in there and immediately win in your first year. You could absolutely win in your first year. I'm not saying national championship, but you can go in there and win 10 to 11 games and set yourself up for the future. So I think that's the difference between LSU and Ole Miss is that I wouldn't have a question about it that he could win more than 10 games at LSU. I have questions if he can get to that 11-win plateau in Oxford. Uh, talking about a, a, a story that got lost in the shuffle yesterday is Duke and David Cutcliffe, I guess you call it a separation, decided to part ways. Uh, does not sound overly amicable between the two yeah. sides. I think David Cutcliffe probably wanted to continue considering that he's taken Duke to heights that they have never seen before and may never see again. I can understand that. Uh, they have fallen on hard times lately. Uh, what do you think about the Duke opening Trey, uh, where they may go next. I know there's a report out about someone on Tennessee staff being contacted uh, by Duke for head coach. That's Tim Banks of the defensive coordinator at Tennessee as a possibility at Duke. And I guess the follow-up to this is David Cutcliffe has an adopted son that works for Danny White in athletic administration at Tennessee. Danny White's dad, Kevin, hired David Cutcliffe at Duke, did not fire him, hired him at Duke. 
David Cutcliffe has long called Knoxville home. Is there some sort of role with Tennessee football for David Cutcliffe? Obviously not offensive coordinator under Josh Heupel, but some sort of ambassador slash analyst, something in, at Tennessee under Josh Heupel and, and company. Yeah, I'll start with that question first. <clears throat> um, I kind of look at it along the lines of, remember last year there was talk about John Chavis getting involved with the Tennessee program somehow because he's back in Knoxville now. He was coaching middle school, you know, football, live, living the life, enjoying retirement. Um, I think with David Cutcliffe, if there was a time, you know, if he wanted to move back to the Knoxville area and he liked it that much, trust me, they would find a spot in that program for David Cutcliffe to be involved. I'm sure Josh Heupel would open him with wide open arms. Hey, you want to come in and help us out with the offense and do this, this, and that? You can be an ambassador, whatever, live retirement life, but then come in as well, help us on the whiteboard? Absolutely. Um, I think when it comes down to, you know, how that could play out, you know, David Cockham still wanted to coach football, man. He he, he wasn't done yet. Um, and, and, I, and we all know what he built up at Duke. From where they were at to where they are now, which I know they've taken a dip, recently and and that's okay because you have to remember what he did with this duke program and and we were talking about the duke football program we're talking about it right now and i think that goes to show you what david cutcliffe did with that team it's crazy and what a world we live in it's just it's one big circle trooper taylor is the interim head coach now at duke like it just you know it, it all comes back to just craziness under the the Philip Fulmer and the people that were there when he was there and whatnot. It's just so, you know, I think Duke is a nice little job in the ACC. I do. I think that's a, a school that can be fourth or fifth in the conference. They, they've shown us that they can get talent to Duke. Um, and, and I think it's all about who you go after and hire, what assistant coach wants to take that football job and kind of continue building it up, back up to where David Cutcliffe had it, you know, would it surprise me if Tim Banks moved on? I mean, no. I mean, all these guys are looking for head coaching positions. That's their main goal. Some of them like to be career assistants, whatever. But a lot of times, you know, they want to move on and find that next job, that bigger job. So it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if there's interest in that. I just think Duke can do a little bit better. And that's not a knock on Banks. I just think they can do a little bit better, find some more experience, because that has to be somewhat of an attractive job for a certain coach. Will there be enough time, Trey, in the next calendar year for Auburn people to sufficiently rehash all of the blown opportunities from the Iron Bowl? Paul, that was, I mean, that was rough. I mean, I, you know, growing up in that state, um, I know all about that rivalry, and I've been to plenty of iron bowls with with friends or even covering them um i i you know talk about a wasted opportunity for brian harson to put to rest any kind of chatter about problems within the program or he not wanting to be there or you know problems with the boosters and 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 what's going on with harson you know it, it all could have been in it if they would have converted you know a, another first down or two uh, maybe you scored when they had the opportunity kicking a field goal or something like that inside the red zone. Like, man, they really screwed that opportunity up. And I, and that's going to live on for a while because I thought during that game and for most of it till the two-minute mark, I was like, Auburn's going to win this football game. Like, Alabama just has not shown up. 
Their defense is not playing particularly well. The offense is not in rhythm. This feels like a game where Alabama is going to fall apart right before Atlanta. And then what happens? Bryce Young steps back, throws a dime to the corner of the end zone, and all Auburn fans can do is just sigh. And it was over with. So, I, you know, I think he's got some work to do there. I think they caught Alabama again at the right time this year to make that thing close. Uh, because T.J. Finley, Finley, I'm sorry, he's not a good enough quarterback right now in my eyes to have won the Iron Bowl against Alabama. So a lot of things went the other way. But trust me, Paul, they're going to be thinking about that for a long time, especially the messages I've gotten today or any kind of recollection of that. Follow Trey's work at outkick.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. Trey, this is one of those weeks where this will not be your only visit on the show. Yes. Uh, we appreciate you, man, and we will catch up soon. Thanks. Hey, I look forward to it, guys. Continue following all of our coverage at outkick.com. Uh, we'll be live from Atlanta this week covering the SEC championship. And uh, we got we got you covered on the coaching searches and everything in between. Keep so up the great work. Yeah, man. Thanks, Thank Trey. you, Trey. Trey Wallace has been our guest. Coming up, our top performers from the NFL weekend on Outkick 360. There's coaching money, and then there's always perspective. Major League Baseball gives you this perspective. Corey Seager is getting a 10-year, $325 million contract from the Texas Rangers. Unbelievable. The thing here to me is, tell me what you got. 325. Think. They're racing to get some of these deals done before a new CBA. So what, <laughs> the, what does that tell you about the state of labor relations and what's to come? Like, wouldn't you almost it's in every just, circumstance want to wait and see the new financial structure? Yes. I guess you don't want the uncertainty around figuring all that out right now. If you know the system and the way it works at this point, you want to get in under, I'm under the new one? I'm going to sign this contract and then get locked out or wait for a strike. Top performer of the weekend for me and uh, the NFL standing ovation to Leonard Fournette, running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who was used by Tampa's offense the way Jonathan Taylor should have been used for the Colts. I realized the Bucks were selling out to stop the run, and Indy may not have been doing the same against uh, Tampa's wide receivers. I get it. But Leonard Fournette runs for 150 yards, whatever it may have been, 130, four touchdowns on the day, apparently gave some passion, some passion speech at halftime. He's like a grizzled veteran now. He used to yeah. be a guy you wanted the hell out of your locker room. I, and, and, you know, you pair these guys together in the right environment, and all of a sudden they come through for you. And Fournette's doing that in Tampa yet again. Uh, props to him. Props to Mac Jones. We're going to touch on uh, Patriots-Titans coming up, but he deserves mention in this conversation for top performers. And then Aaron Rodgers and, and what he did yesterday on the bum foot. You could tell that thing does not feel, feel good with how he's limping around out there. But, man, he makes he makes throwing the football look so effortless. And he carved up the Rams yesterday. He's, he's just terrific. I'll throw out two more from um, the one good game on Thanksgiving. Uh, Dak and Derek. Prescott yeah. and Carr had the two best yardage days of the weekend. 375 and 373 for Prescott and Carr. In a game that would have been absolutely beautiful to watch, but for the penalties. And I'm not saying they weren't committing the penalties. I just wish there could be yeah. some kind of it damn balance it down to where a you play a, a cleaner game and the officials then 
can officiate it more reasonable because it slowed it down. But on Thanksgiving afternoon, that was a fun one to watch, a 36-33 win for the Raiders, who remain in the thick of things, and Dallas going the wrong direction. I'm sticking with the Raiders, and I'm going to the rare kicker for mine, Daniel Carlson, who was dealing with food poisoning throughout the game and told reporters afterward, if you had to get me an adult diaper or a a garbage bag on the sideline, I was going to make it work. And I was going to go out there and kick, and he hit the game winner, and he was great all day. <laughs> well, I or think a that's garbage bag. I think that's what he's saying. For yeah. one end or the other, he's got the diaper or the garbage Brutal. bag. Nick, and he, he, Nick yeah, Folk cold had as a pretty damn there. good day. He, he didn't have to hit a game winner because it was a Nick blowout. Nick Folk looks like he is 80 years old wearing a helmet. <laughs> yeah. He looks really old wearing a helmet. You put yeah. him out there 57 yards, No, it doesn't look like a second thought. Um, Adam Thielen yesterday reached a, a noteworthy uh, mile marker. He is the... He's in his eight years, uh, eight, eighth year. He's now the just the fourth undrafted wide receiver in the common era since the the draft. Like the draft expanded to seven rounds, or maybe it was eight rounds back in the day, like twenty five years ago. Only the fourth wide receiver undrafted to have fifty touchdown receptions. Thielen's doing that for Minnesota. Minnesota yet again. They're, they're the only team in the league, every single week, they have held at least a seven-point lead. They're the only team that's done that. They're five and six on the season. Who's a team, I, I mentioned this last week, I absolutely don't want Minnesota to do anything. I don't want to see them. I'm not interested in them. It's unreasonable. They're probably better than I think. But if you offer me a full slate of teams that are in it and say, who don't you want to watch yeah. today, I say Minnesota. But the thing is, they actually every game is entertaining. Yeah. They're they're all one score games. There's something they they are the NFC version of the Baltimore Ravens, except the Ravens win their close games, and Minnesota doesn't. Like three of their three of their six losses, maybe four now, have ended as time has expired on the clock. And uh, there's something about them still, even all of that. That I should be more interested in Minnesota. I confess, like yeah, well, it's I mean, a bad call by me. There's some about Minnesota that I just don't want There's, anything to do with. I'll give you mine, and it's probably a bad call also, but I just can't get into it. Chargers. Yeah. Don't want to watch them. Justin Herbert. See? I, seems like a nice guy. I want to watch them every don't week. Care. I, I want to watch don't them every care. week. Patrick. I don't know if it's something about them being in Los Angeles now that I hate. I don't know what it is, but I just they, they can't do, get into it. They do I love feel, that they we do have feel these. homeless. Yes. You, you have one, huh? It's a vagabond franchise. Oh, I mean... I, I don't care to watch the Detroit Lions or the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah, but at all. Bad. I mean, but Somebody even in marquee, decent. like even in the national TV games, I don't want to watch them. You I don't. Know, like, I have no interest in tonight's game, Seattle and Washington. I don't know where it is. I, I'm not interested in that matchup at all. Well, those two, and I'm up both for those teams aren't very good. Yeah, that's also that that hurts. I might just <laughs> you only have one team that's a, a contender. I might go the game. highlight route on that tonight and watch Hulu. I'm into a series. On well, Hulu the man, right there's now. no Manning cast, right? Is is it, I was about to ask, has it gone away this week? It's such a random schedule they keep. Yeah. There's really no rhyme or they're reason to the games they're recovering doing. Recovering well, I mean, if, it, if, yeah, if they're giving them weeks off, which they are, this would make, a, this would make sense to do it because of the long Cyber Thanksgiving Monday. weekend. I, I don't know. <laughs> Cyber I mean, Monday, they're busy. It's at, the game's in Washington. I have no idea about the weather. Um, well, Russell, I think the Mannings do a lot of shopping. <laughs> Seahawks are favored by two and a half on the road, if, if you're into that. Fandle.com slash OK360. Up to a $1,000 risk-free bet uh, by placing, placing your first bet there. Um, speaking of the Chargers, they lose to the Denver Broncos. That's a bad... 28-13. After a good win. 
28-13. I'm telling you, the Chargers and the and the uh, Bengals, two tough teams to figure out. Bengals well, look like they've got it together. But now Chargers that, last week looked like they had it Now that together. division is fascinating because the Broncos win puts them in a three-way tie for second place in their division. And at the trade deadline, people were treating the – and I was one of them – treating like the Broncos like they're in Major League Baseball and they Sell were it. selling at the deadline by getting rid of Von Miller – and they sacked Justin Herbert like four times yesterday. Rams are a big story right now, too, the team that got Von Miller. Robert Woods' injuries really hurt them, and they're not playing well Lost at all. three straight now, and they came off the bye. Played okay at, in spurts against Green Bay, but something's up with Stafford. They're saying he's hurt. Um, I, I would just say he's reverting back to the Stafford in Detroit, which is a good quarterback, but we saw the difference from elite to just and really, really good. They don't have it, a lot was, of good wins. It was Rodgers yesterday uh, on the road in Lambeau. Home field advantage does exist. It's Lambeau filled with the Green Bay Packers. Outkick 360 rolls on.